the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I am really excited today. I'm here at Warm Beach Senior Community. And my special guest today for Heart of the City is Bud McDole. Bud, welcome to Heart of the City. Thank you, Chuck. It's a pleasure to be here. How long have you been a resident of Warm Beach? I moved to Warm Beach in October of uh, 2009. Yeah, so a little over 10 years. 10 years, yes. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a beautiful community. I've had a chance to be out here a couple of times, and... Uh, some great people and some very warm, loving people, and uh, I'm sure it's a joy to live here at Warm Beach. It is. It is. I moved here brokenhearted in that I had just lost my wife of 60 years and uh, couldn't uh, stand being in the old haunts, so I found an area where a number of my friends had gone in their sunset years and had no plans of moving here previously until I had lost uh, Lucille. And then within six months, I had moved up here. Uh, went to a grief share session, which someone recommended here at the local church. And of the eight women sitting in that grief share with me, uh, five were widows of good friends of mine. Oh, my. And uh, that was amazing in itself. And one of them in particular, I was good friends with her husband back in Seattle Pacific in uh, 1951. I remembered when he went back to Kansas to marry that little girl. Wow. And now these 60-plus uh, years later, uh, she let me buy her a cup of coffee, let me take her to lunch, and uh, within uh, a few months, we were married. We've been married nine years now. Bud, congratulations. Thank you. You know, it's amazing, this the various seasons of our life, isn't it, and how uh, throughout you know, losing a, your bride of your youth and then how the Lord provided someone else in your senior years. And uh, God is good, isn't he? God is incredibly good. Yeah. Well, but let's go back a little bit because you've got an, you've got an interesting story and, and we've had a chance to just chat for a few minutes before we started recording. But uh, you grew up, uh, born in 1929 in a little town north of Vancouver, uh, Vancouver Washington, well, actually, was born in Los Angeles. Oh, really? Uh, I okay. was, and so I'm a native son, but my parents had the good sense of leaving when I was three weeks old okay. and heading north. <laughs> uh, we uh, had gone into the Depression, and uh, Dad had lost his job in Los Angeles, so they moved back to his parents' farm in Eugene, Oregon. So uh, he, uh, my father, my mother, my sister, and myself lived there for several years. And then he got a job uh, operating a bulldozer for the Weyerhaeuser Company. 
So if you've ever been down the highway between Kelso and uh, Iwako on the Washington side and looked up on the on the south side of the Nacelle Hills and seen all those logging roads up there, he punched in a good part of them mm. throughout the winter, two winters as a matter of fact, operating build, big bulldozers uh, hanging to the sides of those mountains um, and in rain and snow and all kinds of weather. Yeah. Uh, mother uh, had graduated from Seattle Pacific, and her first love was teaching school. She was a first-grade elementary teacher, so she was trying to get a job teaching school. She finally got a job in Ridgefield, Washington, just north of Vancouver. So Dad quit his job with Warehouser, and they moved to Vancouver, and he got a job, again, operating a bulldozer, uh, uh, for the construction of the Bonneville Dam, which was going full tilt. This would have been in 1934 and 35. And uh, believe it or not, we lived in a tar paper chicken house when we first moved on to our, our little ranch north of Vancouver. And Dad had the idea of rebuilding a farmhouse that had been destroyed by fire. And there was a church building in the lot next door, and he envisioned dismantling that, salvaging the lumber, and uh, as many did back during the Depression, uh, do it with your own hands and put together a farmhouse for his wife and, and two little kids. And there were no cordless drills at that time. It was and all hand tools, wasn't it? It was all hand tools, taking it down and then rebuilding it. Uh, he no more, we mo no more than had the uh, uh, area... Um, dug out where the basement was going to go. And uh, unfortunately, uh, after all of those uh, seasons of operating that bulldozer in treacherous conditions up on those mountainsides, he was operating the bulldozer at Bonneville, grading for the fish hatchery, got into some soft dirt on a hillside, and the bulldozer rolled over, and they didn't have roll bars in those days, and he was crushed, hmm. and we lost him. So it left my mother and my sister and me on that little farm in 1935 to uh, fare for ourselves, if you will. But the government took care of us since that was a, an accident working on a government project. Mother got $18 a month. Uh, my sister got 13 a month, and I got $11 a month. And that was the compensation for uh, my father's life. Mm, mm. Now, you had mentioned to me before we recorded that you didn't really remember your father. You, you were five, but you don't recall him. I do not. Strangely, uh, any memory of him or activities with him are just blank from my memory. Uh, I remember a lot of the places we had gone as a family. Uh, he loved Franklin cars, and we always had a big Franklin and I remember the day crossing the Burnside Bridge in Portland on our way to church. A milk truck stopped in front of him. He couldn't stop. We hit it, and all four doors broke off because those were those were built of aluminum, <laughs> mm -hmm. and the aluminum hinges let go. So I remember that, but I don't remember Dad being there when we picked the doors up and, and put them back in the car. So how did your mother deal with that, with the death of your father? It is, it is captured in a little book she wrote when she was 90 years old, when she finished it, when she was 90. And she entitled that 
the widow's mite, and she spelled mite, M-I-G-H-T, and she attributed her, her ability to survive in the Depression with two little kids. I was five. My sister was seven. Um, because of her dependence and utmost trust in God. Hmm. And she just cast her lot with him. And over the years, just praised that he had met her every need. And that was a great example for me and for my sister as we grew up, seeing this uh, pioneering little lady with a profound faith that uh, did take her through. And she trusted him for everything. And we saw it uh, come to be. And that has shaped a lot in my life and my faith. That uh, it was, it made it easier to me make my commitment to uh, Jesus after I saw my mother's example. Sure, sure. Was that soon after? I remember you were five. So was there a a time in your life where you made that commitment? Were you younger, older? Yes, mother and uh, my mother graduated from Seattle Pacific. And after she was not uh, an active believer at the time she and dad were married, but they, uh, they came to the Lord shortly after they were married. And so I was born into a Christian home. But I didn't necessarily buy into it right away. Yeah. It was uh, more, more through practice. We went to church every Sunday over in Portland. Uh, but I... Uh, uh, mother eventually moved to Bothell, Washington, where she taught school. She taught for 36 years at the first grade level. Got a job at Bothell because she wanted my sister and me in the Seattle area, in the shadow of Seattle Pacific College, because that's where she wanted us to go to school. Uh-huh. And uh, I graduated from Bothell High School. And I've often uh, joked with her about the fact that at a at an alumni meeting in 1948, uh, well, I guess it was before that, but she met one of her old professors who himself had lost his spouse, and his name was Burton Beagle. And she and Professor Beagle were married in 1948. So I became a professor's kid. And uh, Prof. Beagle was really the only father figure that I knew, uh, a great man of God, greatly... Uh, uh, steeped in the word and very wise. Uh, his counsel to me was, uh, w- was as I say, the, the real fatherly advice that I remember. Uh, I had a, an accident in 1947 in November uh, working for Consolidated Freightways. I dropped a huge piece of equipment on my foot, crushed five bones, and ended up in the hospital and on crutches. At the time, I had a cute little Ford three-window coupe, uh, a cute little girlfriend, and two jobs. Um, I couldn't drive the car, so I lost both jobs and the girlfriend. (laughs) So I'm sitting there in our home, which was right across the street from Seattle Pacific College. And old Prof. Beagle looked at me, and he said, you know, he said, why don't you try college? It can't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in November. January 1st, I started Seattle Pacific College, albeit on crutches. And uh, that was a change in my life that uh, changed much for the better. Yeah. Well, part of that change, uh, you had mentioned um, earlier to me that uh, you um, 
you were sitting uh, in the auditorium and you'd uh, hang around for choir practice because you had a you had an interest in uh, in one of the one of the choir members. Yes, I did. Uh, my first year there, um, I started dating uh, a young lady whose name was Lucille Cap. Uh, she could never go out with me. We could never go anywhere on a Sunday afternoon because she always had choir practice. And as I pursued that and questioned her, I found out that she was in the Light and Life Hour Choir, and that choir met every Sunday afternoon in McKinley Auditorium and practiced and recorded the singing for the Light and Life Hour, which was the national radio program for the Free Methodist Church. It was the musical end of it, and the announcements were produced in Seattle, but the speaker, who was Dr. Myron F. Boyd, was uh, back in the Midwest at headquarters at Winona Lake. And so uh, by a, a variety of recording means and splicing it together, uh, the music was done here. They put it together in Winona Lake, and then it was broadcast initially throughout the nation and then eventually worldwide. Uh, but uh, I, I, uh, the way I got involved in that was that I would follow her to choir practice, uh, sit way in the back of the McKinley Auditorium thinking I was out of sight of anyone, and listen to the beautiful music, and then she and I could go somewhere afterwards for a little, a little social gathering or whatever. Um, this one day, Dr. Lawrence Shanels, who was the director of the program and led the choir, uh, called me up to the stage and explained that the former announcer for the program was needed to run some new Ampex tape-to-tape equipment that they had acquired, and they needed an announcer. And he hit, stuck into my hands, to my utter shock and amazement, a, a script for the, the announcements for the Light and Life Hour. And that was my introduction to radio and to speaking, if you will. And uh, I still remember the lines uh, indelibly on my memory. The Light and Life Hour, brought to you from Winona Lake, Indiana. This is Bud McDowell speaking. Oh, my. Oh, and you still got it, Bud. You still got the pipes. <laughs> well, thank you. But that was a, Chuck, that was a turning point in my life. Because I came to the Lord in a serious way when I was 18, just a few months prior to this. I remember it well. It was at a, a, a Sunday school church meeting down at the Rainier Avenue Free Methodist Church in 1948. A Dr. Harold was the, was the preacher. And in the sermon that really got to my heart, he was talking about God's gifts to people. And then he challenged us, what are you going to do with the gift that God may have given you? Well, I wasn't aware that he'd given me any gift, but I guess as I look back at it, my, my voice was a little lower than many others. And if I was to use it now, um, that I, I should take that gift and develop it into a skill. Um, 
So after, I, I wondered what that meant. And then when I was asked to become the announcer on the Light and Life Hour, I changed my course of study at Seattle Pacific. I'd been a business and economics major. I canceled out of that and became a speech and communications major. Uh, I figured that, and I, I joined the uh, debate club and did all the, all the speaking and the preparation of that that I could. I ended up being the staff announcer on that program for 13 years, recorded over 700 programs, 700 Sunday afternoons in front of that microphone. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I have fond memories of, of Winona Lake, actually. I've been to Winona Lake in Indiana and uh, for many years listened to um, our local Moody station, WDLM in East Moline, Illinois, DLM meaning Dwight L. Moody. That was uh, part of the Moody Network, listening to Conference Echoes out of Winona Lake. Mm. So uh, lots of good ministry at those times. From 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 uh, from Winona Lake, Indiana. So, well, Bud, you uh, obviously uh, after that time, and you had a chance to marry that girl. And uh, so, what happened next? Well, uh, when I took the job as announcer, they said, "Well, you realize there's no compensation," and that didn't bother me. I was just excited about being able to serve and. Uh, uh, doing the best I could, but they were they were so wrong that the job had no compensation because by the change in my education, by developing the skill of being able to speak, if you will, uh, I I was blessed throughout my life. Um, when I uh, applied for a job with the IBM company. When I got out of the service in uh, 1955, I gave a presentation to the recruiter, and he hired me on the spot. Uh, I believe that was because perhaps I was able to speak a little better than the next person, or he envisioned me standing up in front of a customer trying to sell computers. Um, uh, later on with IBM, I was I was recruited to. Uh, introduce a new computer system in 1957 before a national sales meeting of nearly 2,000 salesmen. In 1961, when they introduced the Selectric typewriter, uh, they called on me to produce the announcement film and video and instruction training video or a movie. Uh, so compensation throughout uh, has, has just been there and largely because that uh, I committed myself to be the best I could with the gifts that God had given me. Well, that really is kind of your life's message, isn't it? it In is. many ways, that that God, uh, He opened up that door for you, and there wasn't a consideration of of the financial aspects of it, but yet. That really is true in all of our lives, isn't it? If we're faithful, what's the, what's the word say? If He's given us a talent, we don't uh, we don't bury it. We we use it for His His glory and His honor, and He will multiply it. I mean, that's a spiritual spiritual principle, isn't it? It it is, and uh, I've always felt that I I got myself into trouble because for some reason. 
Uh, I had been, uh, been asked to do things that were way over my head, beyond my capabilities. And yet, one of the presidents at Seattle Pacific, when I was asked to be chairman of the board, and I was chairman there for 13 of the 23 years that I served on the board, he said, Bud, remember this. God does extraordinary things with ordinary people. I couldn't get that out of my mind. And from then on, as I was asked to do something, I thought, well, I, that's way over my head. And then I thought, well, if God is in it with me, I don't have an excuse. <laughs> so I found myself in, in deep water, hot water, yeah. time and time again. But because of the help of wonderful colleagues and family and friends and the good Lord himself, uh, I, I'm pleased that I've been able to make uh, a, a small contribution here and there. And I Hope when it's all over, I will have made a difference. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, Seattle Pacific University. Obviously, since you attended there and you uh, served there on the on the board, uh, the ministry of that school and the growth of that school. Uh, I've I've had the opportunity to attend uh, Bethany Community Church in uh, in the Green Lake area, and and lots of SPU students. Yes. Uh, at uh, with Richard Dahlstrom there at uh, at uh, at Bethany, and so have a, a big appreciation for for what uh, what that school produces as far as students. Well, very quickly, a recap: uh, in 1919, my mother came from Boise, Idaho, to uh, well, 1923, graduated from Seattle Pacific, where she had come in 1919. Uh, wanted me to go there because of the tremendous impact it had on her life. Um, I went there in 1948, met my wife, um, I graduated in 52, um, was the alumni president, uh, was the Falcon Club president. Uh, Lucille and I had five children. They've all attended Seattle Pacific. I was elected to the board in 1972, elected chairman in 1982, retired in 1985, 95, excuse me. And uh, it just... Uh, it's been the thrill of my life to be associated with that school and see what it does. It's grown from about 500 students when I first started there to uh, over 4,000 today. And they still love the Lord, mm -hmm. and I am so thankful for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bud, we have about uh, a minute left, and so I'd love for us to just kind of wrap up here um, if you had a, a chance to kind of summarize your your life and your walk with the Lord, um, what would it what would you say that life lesson is? Don't shy away from opportunities, even though you feel inadequate at the time that they're presented. Depend on the Lord to give you the insights and the wisdom and the strength, uh, and and He will provide the resources you need. If it's in his will and if it's in his his calling, I'm just thankful that I've had the opportunity and that I've made the commitments that I have, even when uh, I was convinced I could never handle the, the task at hand. But God is good and will provide a way if you but trust and let him lead. Amen. Well, we've been sharing with Bud McDole. He um, uh, is a resident here at... Um, Warm Beach community, uh, senior community here in the Stanwood area. And uh, I've met uh, some really great residents here at Warm Beach, and uh, Bud attested to that earlier on in the program. 
If you'd like to learn more about uh, Warm Beach Senior Community, you can go to warmbeach.org. That's warmbeach.org. Bud, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Chuck. It was a pleasure. If you'd like to hear more of the broadcasts that uh, we've shared here on Heart of the City, you can always go to thewordseattle.com, click on the Local Program tab there in the menu section, and uh, go down to Heart of the City. You'll see my smiling face there, and you can click on uh, the podcast section where there are many great stories um, like those shared by Bud and uh, other ministry leaders from around the Puget Sound area, some, some stories of, of hope, some, some stories of sadness, but all of the stories reflecting the grace and mercy of God in our lives. And so I want to thank you for joining me today. The Lord bless you and keep you, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to this 820 AM, The Word, special Heart of the City. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, The Word, call Chuck Olmstead, 206-269-6216, or go to thewordseattle.com. 